0: Welcome to this week's Energy Show. We're going to talk about a carbon tax on today's show. Yeah, people don't like taxes. And almost nobody does. Businesses that are taxed especially don't like taxes, and they usually have a lot of money to fight them. But economists have come to the general conclusion that a carbon tax is the most economically efficient way of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Now, people don't always listen to economists, but, you know, in general, they're right. They've got a good kind of a scientific solution to a lot of these issues, and and carbon taxes is is, is their conclusion. Now, we have lots and lots of taxes, too many taxes. We have vice taxes, which are actually pretty useful. So, for example, vice taxes are taxes on things like cigarettes. They work really well to discourage smoking. It's discouraging bad behavior. Now, we've had a cap-and-trade tax in California for the last few years, that's worked pretty well. We also have had a cap-and-trade tax on smokestack emissions that were in the Midwest from uh, utilities burning coal. It was causing some really, really bad problems. And that really worked out well. That acid rain that was polluting forests, killing forests in the Midwest and in, in New York and the East Coast, pretty much eliminated that acid rain. worked well. Now, now... Everybody's ta- Not everybody, but a lot of people are talking about a carbon tax again, and there's a number of reasons why it's becoming more feasible and more appealing to more and more people. Now, here's basically the way it works. A carbon tax is a tax that's levied on the carbon content of fuels. Basically, it's a form of carbon pricing. As I mentioned, cap and trade is currently in use in in California and a a bunch of other countries around the country. It's similar, but it's a little bit more complicated. There's a cap and then you can trade excess credits that you have. Carbon taxes is a lot simpler and that's why economists like it. Now, the the reason why we have this issue is carbon – and there's nothing inherently wrong with carbon. Carbon's present in every hydrocarbon fuel. Hydrocarbon fuel is a fuel that has carbon and hydrogen kind of mixed together, like coal, petroleum, natural gas. And what happens is when you heat these fuels up with oxygen, it burns. And as it burns, it releases a lot of energy. The energy comes out, and you also get nice, clean water vapor. You get carbon dioxide, which is relatively clean, but it's a greenhouse gas pollutant. And if it's a dirty fuel, you might get some other pollutants like particulates and, and acids and other bad things. But the problem is that when you burn these hydrocarbons, you create carbon dioxide. Now, we create carbon dioxide when we breathe, when, when we exhale. But when it accumulates in large quantities, it very, very clearly creates this, this problem of global warming. And 95% plus of, of climate scientists agree that we have this global warming problem. There's still some deniers out there, but uh, the scientists say we have it. <laughs> it's getting warmer. The sea levels are rising. Um, yes, there's maybe due to fluctuations, but I'm firmly on the side of scientists saying we've got a problem. Now, in contrast, non-combustion energy sources like wind, solar, hydropower, nuclear, they don't convert hydrocarbons into CO2, so you don't have those problems. Those, Those, those fuels, those energy sources, aren't going to be subject to any kind of carbon tax. Now, there's a good rationale for a carbon tax. And and the reason is that carbon emissions have a cost that are not borne by the emitters and not borne by the polluters. The people that are burning coal, gas, things like that, driving cars, and we all do some of this, they're not really paying for the rising sea levels, warmer temperatures, local pollution. Companies that are mining coal or, or pumping oil or natural gas, I mean, they're just selling the product. But they're not bearing any of those costs. And the carbon tax would help reflect the true cost of these carbon emissions in terms of the problems that are being created basically for society in general. And hopefully it's going to spur companies to make more economically efficient decisions when they consider the whole situation. And obviously, you know, from a selfish standpoint, I'm in the solar business. It's great for renewables because renewables are a power source that don't create any pollution at all. Now I love doing research for these radio shows and and kind of looking into a carbon tax and some of this rationale. I learned a new word. It's called Pigovian. It's not a Pokemon Go creature that's running around. Pigovian is a. It's a tax. It's called a Pigovian tax. That's a tax levied on any market activity that generates negative externalities. These are costs that are not internalized in the market price. So, for example, when you're burning coal. And you create a lot of pollution. That's a negative externality. A, a negative externality. They could have just said a bad thing, but that negative externality affects everybody, not necessarily the company that's, um, that's making money by selling the product. So these Pigovian taxes are there to, in, to correct inefficient market outcomes. And they do it by being set equal to the social cost of these negative externalities of these, these problems. You sit down and you say, what are the, problems and the costs with this global warming situation, and then you say, okay, let's create a tax that's going to be equal on a, on a per ton of carbon that's going to neutralize that, that's going to be equal. So, Now, if you're wondering what where it comes from, Pigovian was named after an English economist, Arthur Pigo. Okay, so there's a, a little bit of uh, worthless information for you. Now, here's how a carbon tax would work. One way of doing it is a direct Carbon tax. So just think about this very simply. You have a extra tax, and we already have taxes, on things like gas, diesel fuel, jet fuel. So every gallon of gas would have a carbon tax attached to it. I think we got like... Highway taxes of eleven cents a, a gallon on gas. I don't know what the number would be, but they'd figure out what that that would be on gas. It might be another ten cents a gallon. But you know that it, it, it sounds bad. But gas prices have come down so much, and it's one of the reasons why. Hey, you know we 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 don't like taxes, but there is a little bit of room for more taxes because we used to pay five dollars a gallon, and now I heard on the radio it's two twenty five a gallon. There would be a tax on natural gas, another fuel source. There would be a tax on coal, and the European Commission has put a system like this in place, and they have a tax that ranges between 4 and 30 euros per metric ton of CO2. So you figure out from a gallon of gas how many metric tons of CO2 would be generated. It's a fractional amount. You figure out what that tax should be, and, and you can kind of run through the math. And, and we did something similar here in California when we did cap and trade. So this carbon tax is being implemented in many places around the world, including Europe, so Denmark, Finland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway, Slovenia, yeah, a bunch of other countries, have this carbon tax. Now, the, the nice thing about a carbon tax is it's really simple. The bad thing about a carbon tax is the three-letter word tax, and people hate taxes. Um, And it sometimes looks like it's going to be applied unequally. So if you just apply it to people who use these fuels and you apply it to the companies that are providing and selling these fuels, that may be a little bit unequal. There are ways to balance it out, but it's a little bit tricky. So there's no way to share. And that's why. There's another system called cap-and-trade that's that's been implemented, and that's a little bit more palatable to people. We used cap-and-trade to reduce the acid rain emissions in the Midwest in the 80s, and those what was happening is these power plants were burning coal. They were g- getting sulfur dioxide and nitrogen dioxide, creating acid rain. The rain would come down and be slightly acidic, and it was killing the forests, not where the power plants were, but farther east. So... Forests in New York State, in in northern New Jersey, in New England, um, they were actually dying because the rain was more acidic and it, the rain was being uh, acidified by these carbon emissions. So they put cap and trade in place and then in like fewer than 10 years, boom – fix the problem. So it's great. So in California, uh, Governor Schwarzenegger put in place something called AB32, which is a cap-and-trade system. They put that in place in California, and it went into effect in 2013. I think it was voted in like 2006 or 2007. But it went into place in 2013, initially covering only certain industries, and then it got kicked up a notch in 2016. The goal is to reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 40% of the 1990 levels by 2030. And we're actually kind of moving very, very quickly towards I think we may be ahead of schedule. Governor Brown actually increased it. So all the companies that burn fuels get a limited number of carbon credits, and the polluters pay for these carbon emissions at the rate of about $11 a ton of CO2. And if they create more emissions, they have to buy credits. And if they don't have that many emissions, then they can sell those credits. That $11 a ton works out to be like, I think, 10 cents a gallon for gas. You know, it's, it's been negligible. And it floats up and down. So this has worked out very, very well, and what's surprising is a lot of the industries like utilities in California, they're way ahead of meeting their carbon credit goals, their cap and trade goals, and they're actually making money because they put wind and solar in years ago, and, and they're putting in more now, and they're kind of selling their credits for a lot of money. Now it applies to transportation fuels. There's been a little bit of bellyaching about, oh, the gas prices are going to go up, complete non-issue. And what it also does is it kind of redistributes some of this money by penalizing the dirty technologies and, sen- and incentivizing future cleaner technologies. Now, the trick is to have a meaningful impact. This, we have to have high enough tax, and we're right now at about $11 a ton in California and really have a big impact. It would have to be $50 to $100 a ton. And when I'm talking about a big impact, really slowing down global warming. But we'll get there. We, a lot of these programs start low and they move up. Paybacks are in the range of four to eight years with immediate positive cash flow and no money down financing. If you'd like to get solar in time for the 30% solar tax credit this year, give Cinnamon Solar a call at 408-883-7000. All right. Now, let's kind of dig into some more of these issues about a carbon tax. The the, the flip side of a carbon tax... Is, you know, we talk about a tax, that tax is bad. The good news is, carbon taxes can generate a lot of revenue. One analyst estimated just in the US by taxing things properly, we can generate additional revenues, additional tax revenues of $30 billion. Now, one would hope that these additional revenues would would go back to businesses and consumers that are actually being taxed, and and, and hopefully that's the way it works, or these funds would be used for new technologies. And, And looking at the way California does it... The revenues in California are there to go back to improve California's energy situation and clean energy economy and not dumped into the general fund. So hopefully this $30 billion of carbon tax revenue and more won't just go into the bottomless government appetite pit for taxes. Now, it's also interesting that because so many countries are starting to implement carbon taxes, it's less abhorrent to a lot of the decision makers, a lot of the businesses, a lot of the policy makers in the U.S. to put a carbon tax in place. So it this is one of those things where 10 years ago it was crazy. There's lots and lots of people who hate it now. Now, I'm just looking at some of these numbers now, there's about 40 different countries that right now have a carbon tax program. I mean, you know, some of the biggest countries like China. And one of the, the reservations that the U.S. had is, oh, we don't want to put a carbon tax in place because... You know, our competitors like China don't have a carbon tax. Well, they do have a carbon tax right now. And then what's also interesting, and and this is probably even more significant, when you look at the total number of amount of carbon emissions in the world, carbon taxes that are going into effect in various countries right now will hit about 20% of the emissions, which is really, really good. Now, what's missing on that is the United States. So we could kick, you know, because we're probably, I think, the biggest or the second biggest emitter in the world. And that's why it's becoming a little bit more palatable. So both a lot of countries are putting in place, it's covering a lot of the emissions, and our biggest trade competitors or partners like China, biggest economies, are also putting these things in place. So the other thing that's starting to help carbon taxes get more traction Is that there's technological advances that are happening that mean that they're good substitutes. Uh, 20 years ago, if you said you're going to put a carbon tax in place, everybody would say, well, gee, the only way we can generate energy without carbon is nuclear. Well, that's changed right now. Um, wind has, has really come into its own, and solar's now cheaper than many, many carbon fuels. So even even utilities are putting in solar left and right because it's cheaper to generate electricity with solar than it is with natural gas, and natural gas is really cheap and was one of the cheapest. So that's one. There are alternatives, and these alternatives are also compelling, interesting, new, growing industries where we got a lot of jobs. The other thing is, as I mentioned, big countries are putting a carbon tax into effect, so we won't be at a competitive disadvantage. And the people who are picking up on this are investors and technology companies who now see that there's an opportunity for a new market related to carbon tax. I mean, this this is going to be a big industry, whether it's cap and trade, there's going to be trading systems or ways to manage and implement a carbon tax. There's money in actually running this tax system. The other thing which is kind of interesting, and this is back to the the perceptions of economists is that putting a price on carbon makes it more transparent means that we need fewer regulations for industries that are polluting now right now what we're doing is we're putting regulations in effect because we don't have a carbon tax there's regulations for fuel economy standards the regulations that limit co2 pollution so is the clean power plan there's regulations mandating energy efficiency because the energy, whether it's electricity or gas, is uh, generally creating some pollution. And so we got all these regulations and, and heck, I don't know whether, whether people hate regulations more or taxes more, but the economists say that the taxes are a more efficient way of doing it. So if we put a price on carbon, either with a direct tax or cap and trade, it lets the free market do its work more cleanly, automatically. That's what free market's like. Now, let's look at some of the challenges. First and foremost is the opposition from companies in the business of extracting carbon fuels, oil, gas, coal companies. And second, we've got companies that use carbon-based fuel, obviously utilities, but the chemical industry, lots and lots of manufacturing industries, heck, the, the plastics industry, everything that's made out of plastic has got some kind of carbon product in it, generally from oil or natural gas, and eventually that stuff may end up. In the atmosphere, and then obviously companies whose products use carbon fuels, like cars, like vehicles. So there's a lot of pushback from all of these fossil fuel-related industries, and they have tremendous lobbying horsepower. They're lobbying on a federal basis. I don't see all the federal lobbying, but boy. Here in California, we see lots of lobbying against cap and trade. I hear the commercials on the radio that – I remember in 2015 when the next phase of the cap and trade was going to go into effect and it was going to affect transportation fuels. What was happening is the fuel companies, the refining companies, maybe even the car companies, I don't know, they were all running commercials saying this this is going to impact – Poor people, it's going to impact people who are buying gasoline. We're not going to be able to afford it. Guess what? Complete big non-issue. I don't think we saw any significant change in the price of gasoline. And it's just all been kind of automatically absorbed. Now, these these other industries are still lobbying against continued implementation of California's cap-and-trade program. But it's working pretty well. All right, another challenge is these cap-and-trade programs and these carbon taxes are tricky to implement. I'd say cap-and-trade is trickier. There's bugs at the beginning. There's some issues that were in Europe. California actually did pretty well under the California Air Resources Board, did a really good job of implementing this, but it's not working out perfectly. A lot of the cap-and-trade costs in California are based on auctions and, and and kind of a public trading and markets, and it's not exactly what we expected, although it's it's working pretty well and it's having the desired effect. Utilities are cutting back on their their use of polluting fossil fuels and there's money that's coming from polluters that's being recirculated into economy. I'm thinking about other examples. Cement companies, they use a lot of energy. They burn a lot of natural gas to make cement. Guess what? They're putting solar on the roof of their facilities. That's terrific. So they're able to kind of get a lot of the electricity they need and a lot of the power they need from solar. Another challenge is kind of a bigger issue is that if we put this tax in effect, it's going to harm economic growth. A lot of politicians say but taxes are going to affect economic growth. If we take away taxes, the economy is going to grow. You know what? There's a, there's a certain degree of truth to that. I agree with it. But the thing is that when you look at these, these uh, Pigovian taxes – It's actually, I think, going to help economic growth because we're going to be discouraging bad behavior and we're going to be encouraging good behavior. And the good thing is this good behavior, these are the industries of the future. And if we don't do it, other countries will. So, yes, what will happen is that the companies that are kind of involved in this polluting cycle of, of carbon emissions, their costs are going to go up profits are going to go down. It's going to affect their growth. But on the other hand, other parts of the economy are going to really grow and we just look and see how solar, wind, EVs, energy-saving software, batteries, I mean, it can go on and on and on. These are the economies of the future and this is where the new jobs are. And I hope that coal miners, the the coal industry has really been in a downturn. It's not necessarily because coal, uh, there's been a war on coal. It's just that natural gas is cheaper. I just love to put more more, um, unemployed coal workers to work by working in the, the solar industry. You know, another challenge, there's an unequal impact around the world. Some com- countries won't participate. But right now, the U.S. is the only big companies not really participating. So we should really be involved in that. So things are changing, and things are changing in a really positive way. We we actually, in in, a, in an ironic sense, we have a de facto price on carbon because a lot of the uh, oil, gas, polluting companies, their financial um, their financials, their financial statements have to reflect that they're actually polluting, and they're kind of making these things up as they go along. They don't really know what the price is. If there was a carbon tax, it's something that you could account for more accurately. And you know, you're looking at the countries that are um, getting on board. They're going to have an economic advantage. I mean, ch- clean energy in China, but they're going crazy with that. California's going crazy with it too. These are good economy. Th- these are these are really good businesses of the future. Now, also. As I mentioned, the cost of, of eliminating carbon in emissions is way down because we have good substitutes like wind and solar. So the big players are now supporting, or at least they're less opposed to a carbon tax. But there's still a lot of political resistance. There's resistance to taxes in general. There are huge industries like oil, gas, utilities, vehicles that are still generally opposed. Um, unfortunately, the Republican platform still kind of comes right out and says we oppose a carbon tax. I, you know, there's a lot of things in there that, that I also disagree with. There's, there's things I agree with. it, But um, they're just coming right out and say they're, they're opposing a carbon tax. Um, I wish that they would propose good solutions. And, you know, we'll see what happens. The good news is if you're in California or some of the other states that are already implementing a cap-and-trade program – This was put in place by Governor Schwarzenegger, and then it was just accelerated by Governor Brown when we saw how successful it was. You see how many great investments there are in clean energy, and you see how much more money there is for us to spend in the state on things that we really need, like transportation, infrastructure, cleaner air, and cleaner technologies. And if you haven't installed solar yet, you're missing out on the cheapest and cleanest energy source. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.